Hi, this is Philip Holland, host of Hope for the Day. I'm so excited that you are listening and you have this to look forward to from today's message. And you're ready to come back to your father's house, but you're scared. You're embarrassed. You don't know how he's going to respond. So you start thinking things like, you know, I got I to gotta start doing some good stuff before my father's going to accept me. I got to throw some more money into those offering bags. Man, I'm going to need to sober up for my, for my drugs or for my alcohol or for my pornography before God will accept me. You know, I'm going to have to start serving at the church or reading my Bible more frequently in order for God to accept me. I got to start doing some good stuff. If that's you and you are thinking anything along those lines, I need you to listen very carefully to my next words, okay? Your heavenly father has spent everything on you. He wants you to come home now. Welcome to Hope for the Day with Pastor Philip Holland. Knowing where we stand with God is perhaps one of the most important questions we can ask. We understand that those who are immoral are going to be far from God, but sometimes even those who are moral can be far from God too. It's in this story of the prodigal son that Jesus teaches us whether we are moral or immoral. We all need his grace to be right with him. Please enjoy the message. All right, good morning, church. It's great to see you guys. Let's go ahead and acknowledge the obvious for a second. All right, yes, I did get a haircut this weekend, so thanks for it. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Hey, we are officially past Thanksgiving, so any excuse that I have to pull out my favorite Lord of the Rings-themed Christmas sweater, I'm gonna do it, all right? If this bothers you, you take that up with my boss, your senior pastor who gave me the permission to do this, all right? So you can get mad at him, not at me. But having said that, if you have your Bibles and you wanna follow along this morning, we are gonna be in Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, as we round out this series that we've been in the past couple of weeks on the prodigal Son. This story has three major characters. Week one was on the younger brother. Week two is on the older brother. So today we're going to focus on the heart of the father and how he reveals to us the heart of our heavenly father up in heaven. So having said all that, how many of you here have enough kids that you have a crazy one? Yeah? Awesome. See, that's relatable. Same. That is my middle child, Calvin. Uh, to put in perspective the story that I'm about to share with you, I wanted to show you a picture of Calvin that I took a couple of months ago this summer after I sent him into the backyard to, and I quote, paint his rocket. This is how I found him a few minutes later. <laughs> so yeah, that's the kind of kid that Calvin is, and I love it. So. A few months ago, my in-laws purchased a newer house inside of a resort community in Granby. Uh, We were able to go stay up there over fall break, and it was an awesome time of being able to relax and everything. And there was uh, just a lot of fun things to do with the kids, hanging out and stuff. The thing that made me nervous, though, as a dad that has three boys four years apart, all five and under, uh, is the fact that it was a brand new house, just a couple years old. Everything's new. New carpets, new desks, new walls, all that stuff. So I'm hanging out there one afternoon. Calvin runs up to me uh, while I'm in the hallway, and he's got that look on his face. Now, if you have toddlers at home, you know that look that I'm talking about. Like, they've already done something wrong, and they're coming to, like, check to see if you could figure it out. So I was like, Calvin, what's going on, man? And I look a little bit closer, and he's got this mark on his hand, and I open up his, um, his hand, and I find the lid of a Sharpie marker. Now, church, you don't know what fear is until you find a toddler with nothing but the lid of a Sharpie marker when you're inside a brand new rental property. So I start freaking out because I'm like, oh no, there's going to be marks all over the wall, all over his brother, something like that, right? So I start searching where I think he's playing. 
I come over to the living room, there's this long shaggy carpet, and I find not just one marker that's lit off, but like 12 or something like that. Plus they pulled all the game pieces out of the closet, and there's all these tiny little board game pieces embedded into this carpet right next to my, my one-year-old baby that's about ready to put in his mouth. So I start going crazy trying to pick this stuff up, falling all over the floor, lifting up the couch, really embarrassing myself in the way that I'm acting. Praise the Lord. He was good to me that day, though. There were no pieces that got in the baby's mouth and no marks on the wall. So it ended up being a good day. Why do I share that with you, though? The point of that story is this, that I, as a father, will do whatever I need to do in order to keep my child safe from hurting themselves or other people, even if that means that I have to act in a radical unexpected and embarrassing manner. That's what we're going to talk about in our story as we look at the story of the prodigal son. Now, if you were a good churchgoer this morning, you grabbed your bullets and on the way in, you noticed that the title of this sermon is The Prodigal God. Now, that might throw you for a loop for a second. How can God be considered prodigal? Prodigal is somebody that runs away and lives this sinful, crazy life. God's never done that before. How can he be considered a prodigal? This is where a definition is going to help us get centered this morning before we move on. According to Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, the word prodigal does not mean wayward as we typically think about it, but recklessly spendthrift. Now, this is a kind of older, fancy way of saying to spend until you have nothing left. So the son in this story is not a prodigal because he ran off and lived a crazy lifestyle. He's a prodigal because he spent everything he had. He's got nothing left. And what we're going to see in this story is that the father himself is going to spend both physically, literally, as well as relationally everything that he has until he had nothing left. So having said all that, let's jump right into the text. This is Luke chapter 15, verse 11 and 12. It says this, referring to Jesus, he also said a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Now, I'm going to stop before I go any further into the story. We're only two verses in, but we already have learned a lot about the father based on his behavior. Now, if you can remember from week one in this series, for the son to ask his father to give him his share of the inheritance while he was still living is the same to wish as he was already dead. He doesn't care for his father, okay? This is in the cultural context of of honor and respect for your elders, especially your father, okay? In fact, outside of the biblical account, there's not a single example in history of a parent, of a father specifically, dividing his inheritance among his kids while he was still living. doesn't happen. So this is a radical example that Jesus gives. In fact, the cultural expectation of the day would have been for the father who had both the legal right and expectation to get this, physically beat his son into submission, disinherit him, and then kick him out of the family. That was the expectation of the day for the father. But as we're going to see in a bit, that is not how he responds. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Some of you know this about me. I grew up in rural Nebraska. My dad is the president of an agricultural bank. He came on there when I was in middle school. And through what I would consider both the provision in favor of the Lord as well as my dad's hard work, he has grown that bank's total asset value by six. So my dad has been very financially successful both professionally at the bank and personally 
in his own life. So here's what I want you to imagine, okay? I want you to imagine that in four to five weeks from now when we go back to visit my family for Christmas, I pull that off to the side while everybody's, you know, opening their presents, drinking hot chocolate, playing with their cousins. I say, hey, Dad, like, I know how financially successful you've been. Like, can we just ignore all of this, pretend that it doesn't, that this is already done, that you're, you're already past, because I want some of that financial success you had. I want to go buy some fun things. So why don't you show me my share of the inheritance? Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. Our mission is to offer you hope through Christ-centered biblical preaching. We certainly hope that this broadcast is doing just that for you today. You might not know this, but each of these sermons are recorded live at Valley View Christian Church in the Denver metropolitan area. If you live in the city, we'd love to meet you in person. We offer Sunday services at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. We have programming for children of all ages, dynamic worship, plenty of opportunities to get connected beyond Sundays, outreach initiatives, and much, much more. Do you want to know why we do all that we do? because so much of our church leadership has had their life changed at a local church. Because it's here that we met Jesus and he changed our lives and we want Jesus to change your life as well. So attend a service at Valley View Christian Church. We would love to meet you personally. We're located just south of Highlands Ranch off of Highway 85 Santa Fe. You can go to our church's website, valleyviewcc.com, for more information. And again, those Sunday service times are at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. Now let's get back to our program. Now, if I were to say that to my father, this is how he'd respond. He'd say, hey, son, how about this? How about instead of me showing you your share of the inheritance, how about I show you the back of my hand? And you can get out of my house, right? And rightly so because that would be an incredibly dishonoring thing to do to my father. That was the expectation of the father of this story, but if you look closely, that is not how he responds in the story. Look at verse 12. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So what does the father do in response? So he distributed the assets to them. He gives the son exactly what he asks for. And this is a truth about God that we can see at this part in the story. God will indeed give us the exact life that we ask for. Now that can actually be a really encouraging thing if we approach God in humility and prayer and dependence on him. We ask him for a life of joy, satisfaction, forgiveness, all those great things, right? That can also be incredibly terrifying if we demand to have freedom from God's authority in our life and to live a life apart from his presence. Romans chapter 1 teaches us that, that God will give us over to our desires. So the father gives the son exactly what he wants, because here's essentially what the son is doing. The son in the story wants the father's resources, but he doesn't want anything to do with the father's presence in his life. And the father doesn't force him to stay at home. The father doesn't physically beat him or anything like that. He gives him the life that he asks for. It doesn't take us that long to look around at the world and to see that there are a lot of people that want God's resources, but they want nothing to do with God's presence in their lives. And what does God do? He gives it to them because God knows that people need to experience a life apart from himself before they realize their need for God. And that's what the father is doing in the story, and that's what the son is going to find out, as we will see. 
So we're going to pick it back up in the text. I'm going to summarize the next couple of verses of what the younger son does. The story is very familiar to all of us, so we don't necessarily need to read it. But the, the son takes this money. He goes off into some far distant country, and he wastes it all. I mean, this dude is living a horrible life. He's sleeping with prostitutes. He's eating the food of pigs. He's living wildly among the pagans. He's probably spending time with cats or some other kind of evil creatures to make it all worse. I mean, it's just horrible, horrible lifestyle, right? Eventually, as we talked about week one, he comes to his senses, and we read this in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. So I will get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. Now, this is an important detail here because what the son is asking for is incredibly significant. He says that he wants to ask his father to come back as a hired servant. This is different than a slave. Now, a slave of the cultural context of the day was somebody who lived on the property, and the payment they got was the food that the master would give them and a place to sleep. That was their payment, okay? That's different than a hired worker who was typically somebody outside of one of the local villages that would come out to the site for the day and work for some type of financial payment. That's what the son is asking his father to do here. He wants to come back as a hired servant to get this, pay his father back. In other words, the younger son is trying to earn his father's love back through his hard work and his hard efforts. But we'll see how the father responds here as we continue to cast. This is seriously one of the coolest parts of the Bible. It says this in verse 20. So he got up, went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. So he ran, he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told the servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter and let's celebrate with the feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And so they began to celebrate. Now, at first glance from this story, this might seem like a really... Uh, emotionally touching thing for the father to do, right? Oh, this is so nice. A father showing his love for his son, running to him and giving him a gift. This is one of those things where you need to understand the cultural context of the day, okay? As a general rule, distinguished patriarchs of leading families in the community did not run. They were supposed to walk around in a very dignified and formal manner. Running was a very shameful thing for them to do. A child might run if they were playing. Some young athlete might run if they're training for some type of sport. But a distinguished patriarch of a leading family would not do such a thing because in order to run, your dress code of the day, you had to pull your robe up, exposing your legs and your feet. That was an incredibly provocative thing to do in the ancient world. But that's what the father does. And he runs to his son while he's still a long way up. He's not back home yet. He's still off in the far country. He hasn't made it back to the property. The father runs to the son and embarrasses himself. Get this, acting in a radical, unexpected, embarrassing manner to show his kid how much he loves him and to bring him back home safely. Now, the specific gifts that the father gives to the son also reveal the heart that he has, okay? The text tells us, that the father says to bring out the best robe and to put it on him, okay? The best robe in the house would have almost certainly been the father's very own robe, and it was a signal to the community 
that the son has been restored to the family and needs to be treated with respect. That's the first gift, okay? Second gift says to put a ring on his finger, okay? This was not any type of just normal ring that you would wear for like decoration or because you had the money to be able to do it. This was the family signet ring by which business was done. This is the father saying to the community, my son has been re-inherited, now owns my possessions and can do my business on my behalf. Sandals on his feet is the next thing. This is significant because slaves in the ancient world didn't have any shoes. Only somebody who had the financial standing or the family standing could wear shoes. So this is another signal to the community that the son is back as a member of the family. And finally, the father says to bring the fattened calf and to slaughter it. Now in that society, most meals that people consumed did not include meat because meat was a very expensive uh, delicacy. Can we just pause for a second and praise the Lord that that is no longer true? That most of us can eat meat for every one of our meals, right? Give me all the steak, all the sausage, all the bacon, right? We love that. But no meat in the ancient world would have been more expensive than the meat of the fattened calf. It was the largest animal and literally spent its whole life getting fattened to make as much meat as possible. So this isn't just some type of special treat for his son. This was a signal to the whole community. You're all invited. There's enough food here for everybody to come home and to treat my, father, or my son with respect and to celebrate the fact that he is home. Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. I hope that this message has been an encouragement to you. I know that it has been to others. You see, it is through the generous contributions of people like you that this ministry can thrive and get God's truth out into the world. I recently received a card from someone who said, thank you for these messages on Hope for the Day. They are encouraging and refreshing as we get the opportunity to hear biblically-centered teaching that continually points people to Christ. And that is just one of several notes that we have received of those who appreciate the teaching here at Hope for the Day. If you'd like to become a partner of ours, just go to Valley View Christian Church's website at valleyviewcc.com. It's there that you can click on the Give tab, and then you can designate your gift to go to the Hope for the Day ministry. And we would love it if you would partner with us in this way, and I know many others would as well. If you are in the Denver metropolitan area, we wouldn't want you to just be a supporter of ours. We want you to attend one of our services in person to be a part of the experience that we have here at Valley View Christian Church. We offer three service times on Sunday at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. And it's at each one of these services that we record the messages that you hear here on Hope for the Day. Now let's get back to today's broadcast. Now, let me pause for a second, and I want to speak to the power that God's Word has, okay? The Bible refers to itself as being sharper than a double-edged sword. It's living and it's active. So it's always teaching us new things. It's always, it's always helping us discover more of who God is. So raise of hands here. How many of you have read through the entire Bible before? Yeah, awesome. That's really encouraging. Hey, that's great. If you've never done that, you didn't make that your 2024 New Year's resolution, okay? We should all have more scripture inside of us. In fact, as believers, all of us should have so much scripture inside of us that if a mosquito were to bite us, it'd fly away singing, there's power in the blood, all right? That's how much scripture all of us need to have, all right? Now, here's why I'm bringing this up. The people who raise their hands can attest to this. 
You can be incredibly familiar with a certain passage or story, and yet as you go back and read it over the years or study it some more, you're going to start to learn more things. The Lord's going to reveal new things to you. This happened to me actually while I was preparing this message. Very familiar with the story. I grew up in the church. I've read through the Bible several times, but I noticed a detail in this story that I've never noticed before, and I want to share it with you, okay? Look closely at... Uh, verses 18 to 19. Okay, this is the speech that the son prepares to give to his father before he comes back home. He says, I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. Remember, he's trying to earn his father's love back through his efforts. Now compare that prepared speech with what he actually said to his father down in verse 21 and it says this the son said to him father i have sinned against heaven and in your sight and i am no longer worthy to be called your son do you guys see the difference the difference is that the son never actually gets to the point where he tells the father to bring him back as a hired worker There's no doubt that this behavior on the father's part was incredibly shocking to run to his son, to kiss him, to throw all these gifts on him. So the son's caught off guard, kind of mumbles through this speech, doesn't get to the point where he's allowed to to ask to be brought back as a higher servant. In other words, the father is not even letting him get to that point. He's like, no, no, we're not even going to have that conversation because you are my son and you are back home now. So church, when you put all this together, it's incredibly powerful. The son embarrasses the father. He runs off to a far country. He lives this empty lifestyle that he regrets. He comes back to his father. He wants to earn his father's love uh, through his hard work. And so when he gets back home to present this, his dad doesn't even let him get to that point. No, we're not going to have that conversation. You are back home now. You are my son. And I wonder if that's part of your story here today. Maybe you've been in a season of being a prodigal. You've kind of been living this empty lifestyle where run off to sinful things, things that leave you empty, but you're tired of it. Maybe you're at a point now where you're starting to come to your senses and you're ready to come back to your father's house, but you're scared. You're embarrassed. You don't know how he's going to respond. So you start thinking things like, you know, I got I to start doing some good stuff before my father's going to accept me. I got to throw some more money into those offering bags. Man, I'm going to need to sober up for my, for my drugs or for my alcohol or for my pornography before God will accept me. You know, I'm going to have to start serving at the church or reading my Bible more frequently in order for God to accept me. I've got to start doing some good stuff. If that's you and you are thinking anything along those lines, I need you to listen very carefully to my next words, okay? Your heavenly father has spent everything on you. He wants you to come home now. Your heavenly father has spent everything on you as the prodigal God. He wants you to come home now. He's not waiting until you get all the way back to the property. He's not waiting for you to come back from the far country. He ran to you, and he's throwing his, his arms around your neck. He's putting a ring on your finger, sandals on your feet, and he's, he's spending his most prized possession in order to celebrate the fact that you are returned home. Your heavenly Father has spent everything on you, and he wants you to come home now. Now, church, I could stop the sermon right here, and that'd be enough, because that's a gospel message And that is every single one of our stories in some way, shape, or form. We've been prodigals. We've run away. God has brought us back. But that's not the only interaction the father has in this story with his children. The story actually ends with an exchange between the father and the older son who stayed at home. And through that interaction, we see a lot of who God is. And so let's move on. We'll pick it back up in verse 25. 
Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of his servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, he devoured your assets with prostitutes. You slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. As we've talked about before in this series, this is the story of two lost sons. A better title for this sermon, or excuse me, for this parable, it wouldn't be the parable of the prodigal son, it'd be the parable of the two lost sons because as we can see here, as we talked about last week, the older brother is just as lost as the younger brother is. In fact, he never even refers to his brother as a brother, he says this son of yours, and the way that he responds to his father shows you how far he is from his father's heart. He does not, just like the younger son, didn't refer to his his father in this esteemed Well, unfortunately, we have to bring today's message to a close. But my hope is that the word that was spoken was an encouragement to you. That's always our hope here at Hope for the Day. Did you know that these messages are recorded at Valley View Christian Church every Sunday? And if you're here in the Denver metropolitan area, we'd love to have you attend one of our Sunday services at Valley View Christian Church. We have Sunday service times at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. And we'd love to have you come and attend one of those services and be with us. And I, Pastor Philip Holland, would love to meet you in person. And also remember that the Hope for the Day broadcast is available on your favorite podcast provider. So we look forward to having you again with us on Hope for the Day.